Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. I want to read the word with you. All right, it'll be on the screen. You can follow. Uh, So I'm going to be reading out of 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 to uh, 29, or 30, sorry. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, with some of the Munites, came wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in the Hezazan Tamar, that is the En Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. People of Judah came together to seek from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly in Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God of who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms and the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they, re- they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of a possession? You gave us an all, all inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For you have no power to face the vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah, with their wives, children, and little ones, stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Metaniah, a Levite, descendant of Asaph. As he stood in the assembly, he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow march down against them. They will be climbing up the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance of the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left in the, uh, for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood again. Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord, your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing the lo- to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness. As they went out uh, at the head of the, of, of the army, saying, 
Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord sets ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Sir, who were invaded, invading Judah. And they were defeated. The Ammonites, the Moabites, rose up against the men from Mount Sir to destroy and annihilate them. And they finished slaughtering the men from Sir. They helped to destroy one another. When men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked to, towards the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat, his men, went to carry on plunder and found among them a great amount of equipment, of clothing, and also articles of value, more than they could actually take away. There was much plunder that it took three days to collect it. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Baraka, where they praised the Lord. This is why it was called the Valley of Baraka to this day. Then, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause for rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. The fear of God came on all surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. All right, that was a long passage. <laughs> Thank you for, for being patient and, and listening to this passage. But I wanted to go through it first um, to kind of give you already like a preface of what I'll be talking about this morning. And I'm really excited because, you know, this passage for me, um, well, when actually Pastor Dave was uh, telling me, hey, you know, can you, you read a story in the Old Testament? I had this story in my heart for quite a long time, and I've been wanting to preach on, on this particular passage for quite a while. So I'm really excited because um, this passage, just to kind of give you a bit of a background, um, back in 2015, my mentor, you know, had given me this passage to read, to go through it. And I had just started walking with Jesus. This is like my early walk with Jesus. And, and I would say I was probably just a baby, you know, in, in my faith. But I was going through a very difficult season in my life. And that was the first time I had heard of King Jehoshaphat. And it was a very encouraging text at that time. And it's still a great reminder uh, for me today. And I hope that this morning, this will be a, either a great reminder or an encouragement to all of you. So today, I want to fill in the blank of God is glorified when dot, dot, dot. And, you know, there's, we could always say, you know, um, he's glorified when things are going bad and we turn to him and when we're not strong, it's like, and everything's going wrong. And then God, you know, somehow he takes us out of that situation and we see he's being glorified, right? See, sometimes life will just throw us uh, a curveball. Now, excuse my baseball term. Um, but there are unexpected situations at times that will just pop up sometimes in life, right? At some point or another. But we're going to look at King Jehoshaphat's story where, where his reliance stood with God. All right, so who's heard of King Jehoshaphat here before today? All right, quite a few good hands. All right, awesome. But let's talk a little bit about him. Who is he? So he is the sixth generation after King David, and he is the fourth king after the division of the kingdom uh, of Israel. 
So the, there was a north kingdom uh, known as Samaria that was reigned by an evil king, King Ahab. And the south kingdom, where the kingdom of Judah, was Jehoshaphat. And in 2 Chronicles uh, 2, uh, verses uh, 17, 3 to 6, and I'll quickly read it for you here. It says, The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the ways of his father David before him. And he did not consult the Baals, but sought the God of his father and followed his commandment rather than the, the practice of Israel. The Lord established a kingdom under his control, and all of Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat so that he had great wealth and honor. His heart was devoted and the ways of the Lord. Furthermore, he removed the high places and the Asherah poles from Judah. So we know that he, he, he surrendered himself to God and said, you know, it's all about you. This kingdom is yours. But then we jump to chapter 18, and I won't read it for you, but in chapter 18, then we see Jehoshaphat uh, allying, allying himself with the king of the north, um, with, with King Ahab, which was a really bad mistake because King Ahab was against God, and, and Jehoshaphat somehow thought he could trust him, right? Um, now, to kind of really summarize the story, and it, I mean, it almost sounds like, and, and don't quote me on this because... You know, it's, it's just the reality of what we see in the Old Testament, but almost like a Game of Thrones type of story. But in chapter 18, you see that King Jehoshaphat goes to, to the king to ally with him to go fight another, you know, um, nation to kind of reclaim this territory. And in that, King Jehoshaphat, you know, is kind of leery. He's like, well, you know, can we talk to some prophets to make sure this is God's will? And all the prophets that were for King Ahab, they're all, let's just say, you know, just to his favor, only saying things that King Ahab wanted to hear. And in that story, it goes on, King Jehoshaphat is asking, well, is there not another prophet that speaks on behalf of the Lord? It's like, there is one. And then brings him in, and he basically tells him, well, you know, if you go into this battle, you're going to die. You're going to die, you're going to be defeated, you're going to be scattered, and you're going to die. But for whatever reason, King Jehoshaphat ignored that warning, still went to war, went with King Ahab. They went to the battle together. But here's the thing, here's the sneaky thing. King Ahab's like, hey, you know what? You stay in your royal clothing. Meanwhile, I'm just going to dress like a normal soldier. I'm going to be like, in, in, uh, like just subtle in the background like that. No one knows that I'm a king. But you go ahead. You stay in your, your royal garments in battle. And of course, what, what, what happened? All the soldiers were going after King Jehoshaphat, thinking he was King Ahab, until they realized, hey, it's not, it's not Ahab. Now Jehoshaphat, in that moment, turns to God, and he's like, God, help me. Get me out of this situation. And God gets him out of that situation, saves him. But King Ahab, on the other hand, even though he was dressed as a soldier, Still got killed. Um, the prophecy was st still remained. He went into battle, and then the armies scattered, and they lost the battle, and King Ahab died. So here we see that King Jehoshaphat clearly made a mistake. He didn't rely on God and made a decision out of his own abilities and own strength. So here we fast forward, Second Chronicles chapter 19, and I'm giving you a quick summary here, hopefully really quick where he's confronted for the mistake for his alliance. But God was graceful. God remained graceful to him, showed his grace, 
And because of it, uh, King Jehoshaphat brought this reform in the land. He, he brought the whole nation back to God. You know, he had put uh, established uh, priests for the care of the spiritual life and judges for the judicial decisions that would turn to God in every decision. So this morning, as we're going to talk about uh, the big passage I read for you, I, I want us to think about a couple of points that the, the, this chapter kind of brings out um, for us. Now, the first point is live in humility. Now, we know in 2 Chronicles 18, Jehoshaphat made a bad decision, and he died in, uh, and uh, Ahab, you know, died in, in battle, but he, you know, almost got killed, and God showed his grace. But he, need, he knew that he needed to seek God in all decisions. So obviously we see that reform happening. And because of it, things started to go well. You know, things were so good. You know, all uh, things were in order. Everything was falling in place. The kingdom was at peace. Everything was just amazing. Now, a nation in obedience, you would think... Um, that everything's just going to be fine, right? That there's just nothing to worry about. But here's where we jump to chapter 20. So verses 1 to 4. After the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Munites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat, some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea, and is already in Hazazon Tamar. That is the Angidi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, proclaim a fast to all of Judah. The people of Judah came together and seek uh, help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So, let's talk, let's talk about this, uh, this passage here. I feel like it could be a lot of frustration. You know, the moment you're like, hey, you know what? I've turned away from my bad ways. I turn to God, and I'm going to be obedient to God, and I'm going to start living a life pleasing to God. And all of a sudden, it's like, but why is this happening? You got three armies that are coming up against us. You know, this happens a lot. Um, in, in, in our walk of faith, in different journeys, I would say. For some that, if they're new, you know, in, in their faith in Christ, but even for some that have been weathered, and it's just like, hey, you know, everything's been good, everything's been calm, you know, no big storms, and then all of a sudden, bam, just this big, unexpected thing happens. You know, it could be like loss of job, broken relationship, large debts, or just anything in general that's just so unexpected that you weren't... Uh, expecting to happen because everything you've planned so far has been going well. Everything's been going so good. Um, there was a season in my life that I actually went through that. Um, the problem with, you know, when we come to those situations, here's where we, we can encounter a bit of pride. What did I do to deserve this? You know, why, why is this happening to me? God, I've been so good to you. I've been, like, really faithful to you. I've been following you. You know, I've been praying every day. I've been reading my word. I've been, you know, serving you in every way possible, surrendering my whole life to you. But why is this happening? And so I mentioned earlier, you know, this passage my, my, uh, my mentor had given me, uh, this passage to read, and we read it together. We studied it together. 
and he wanted me to reflect on it. Now, to give you a bit of context, before I was a Christian, my life was a mess. Um, it was a very messy, uh, very messy life, I would say. Now, I won't go into my full testimony because, I mean, that could take three hours. Uh, I'm just going to give you a really small season of my life, actually just after I gave my life to Christ. But if ever I have a chance, I hope I can actually share that fully. But before becoming a Christian, I was married to someone else before. And the relationship broke down and, you know, got separated and everything. And and my life was just completely spiraling down. I was in a really dark place. But the moment I gave my life to Jesus, things started to fall in place. Everything started to go well. Things started to turn around. In fact, all my brokenness, God was starting to piece it together. It was a very painful process. But things finally started to look stable in my life. Everything made sense at that point. Jesus made sense at that point. Now, probably a bit of a shock factor here sharing this story, but, you know, I just want to let you know that through it all, God continued glorifying himself. But in that short period of my life, where uh, I would say just after I've given my life to Jesus, I'd probably say like six months, um, I felt like I was in this mountain high because everything was so good. But then for the first time in my life, um, I, I encounter my first, like, just unexpected thing. Um, now, to the person that I was married to before, I get a call one night, you know, and I had gotten over that relationship. I had healed from all that. I had let it go. I had moved on. I had moved forward. I said, Jesus, my life belongs to you. I surrender it fully to you. It's all yours. And one day I get a call. And it's like just telling me, hey, I, I left my job. I'm like, oh, that's, that's great. And, but also just want to let you know, it's with the same company you work for. I'm like, oh, what's well, a really large company? I mean, like, what are the chances we're going to be working, you know, together? You know, and, uh, at that point, right after, it's like, well, actually, it's in your department. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I had no words. At that moment, I had no words. I had to tell you, that moment, I, I didn't know what to say. I'm like, why? <laughs> like, why are you what, one calling me to tell me this? And why did you apply there? And why are you working in my department? And... <laughs> Everything just turned upside down. I couldn't understand the reason behind it. There was no reason behind it, even till this day. Like, I, don't, I never was able to answer why that happened. But I know how God glorified himself in that moment. See, before I knew it, she was already there in my workplace, uh, in my department. I had to face this daily. I'm like, how, how do I face this? Like, people here in, in, in this workplace uh, know her. Um, and they know what happened. They all know what happened. So my life was pretty public at that point. Um, <laughs> so it was very difficult. And obviously, I was struggling with pride at that point. Because all I could see was like, God, I don't deserve this. Look, I, 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 like I'm finally getting my life back together. I'm finally seeing things happening the way they should. But why? And I had to learn to let go of that pride. I had to learn to let it go and to, to, to finally depend on God at that moment. So we come back to the text. 
And Jehoshaphat, he couldn't afford to have pride influence his decision. See, he had no chance to win against such a large army. I mean, you got three nations coming against you. That's kind of hard to beat, right? But too often we're set on our ways and expect God is going to respond the ways we want. God, just, you know, uh, take this situation out of me or get her fired or, you know, uh, get her switched to another job. No. See, um, I'll continue reading here, verses 5 to 12. And it says, Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, The Lord our God of ancestors, are you not God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms and the nations. Power and might are in your hands, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land, of this land before your people, Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. They have lived in, in it and have built it in sanctuary for your name, saying, Calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plagues or famine, will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in, your distri- in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory, who not allow Israel to invade when they come from Egypt. So they turned away from they, and they did not destroy, destroy them. So how are they repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face the vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do but our eyes are on you. I apologize for my voice. It's like crackling a bit. I've been sick all week. I'm trying so hard not to like lose my voice here, so bear with me. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So in this passage, Jehoshaphat had to recognize that he didn't have the capacity um, to defeat the invaders, right? See, it takes humility to recognize that in your situation that is out of control, that you're weak. Yes, I said weak. See, God is not looking just, and I want to emphasize just, for a devoted routine. He is looking for a heart willing to daily recognize our vulnerabilities and surrendering it to him. See, a religious heart uh, will not allow God to work through our weaknesses. So I had to learn that. I had to let go of that pride. I had to learn to live daily in humility and become dependent on God. See, the moment I yielded that area of my life, as impossible as it seemed at the time, and I don't think anyone ever wants to go through that, um, God responded in his, his way. He glorified himself through that circumstance. See, I was powerless, but he was powerful. Many of my coworkers at that time, they were really surprised in how I responded to that situation. See, so he would have come up to me and it's like, how, how, how are you able to withstand this? How are you able? It's not me. It's Jesus. 
See, they, they saw Christ through my daily surrender to him in this situation. So just as God reminded Jehoshaphat that he needed to be dependent on him, I was reminded of the same. So therefore, I just want to urge you here. If you have any pride of a situation that you're trying to handle on your own, let it go. Give it to God. In fact, go to him in humility and actually acknowledge, you know what, here's my weakness because I can't handle it. I don't have the capacity. And the thing is that he will guide you through every circumstances. He is there through every circumstance, not just the bad ones, actually even the good ones. Imagine that. So next, um, we're going to talk about our next point that we can see out of this text, how Jehoshaphat turns to prayer. And our second point is that in all times, seek him in prayer and worship. So after being informed of the coming invasion in uh, verse 3, Jehoshaphat turns to prayer and fast. Now the beauty of this passage is that even in calling uh, a fast for the entire kingdom, you you see in this text the unity, the whole nation uniting, seeking the direction of God. See, this prayer... Jehoshaphat's prayer is so sincere. He's calling the Lord to honor Israel's obedience and recalling the gift of the land that their enemy um, is about to to invade. And this is what he he concludes with with humility. So remember that. Verse 12 says, Our God, will you not judge them? We have no power to face the vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So let's take a moment and and kind of try to break down a little bit about this passage about prayer. What brought prayer, you know, for the nation to just all of a sudden, hey, let's pray. Now, we could say that the situation is what drove Jehoshaphat to say, hey, this situation's bad, let's turn to prayer. But here's the thing, in a moment of panic, do we normally really just first turn to prayer? When something really bad happens, is our first instinct, I gotta pray? Probably not. But yet here you have Jehoshaphat turning to prayer. See, life sometimes, you know, will, when it brings on crisis, um, you know, sometimes it's in our nature not to first think about prayer as the first resort. It ends up being somewhat like the last resort. Like, I'm going to try everything else, and I'm going to keep trying to fix this, and if it doesn't work, then I'm going to pray. But then after a few attempts, you know, of trying to fix it, we realize, oh, I guess I should have started with prayer. So Jehoshaphat... Maybe he did panic a little bit. I don't know. It doesn't say in the text. But he did resolve to inquire of the Lord, what we see in verse 3. Alarmed Jehoshaphat, resolved to inquire of the Lord, he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. So, to recognize the times to turn to God, uh, there needs to be an existing life of prayer. Not just like a... A crisis? Prayer. 
No, that, that already has to be a habit before. That has to be there in place so that when those moments of panic, of crisis happen, you're already turning to prayer. See, the reform that Jehoshaphat brought to the kingdom may have been driven by, you know, the fear of God's wrath when he disobeyed the first time. But you know what? The reform brought itself a spiritual formation to live a life seeking God. So we cannot turn to prayer when it's convenient. God is not a a genie in a bottle as if, you know, the moment you pray, he'll answer this, this request. Now we jump to verse 18 and it says the king, um, yeah, and the king and everyone else worshiped, worshiped. See, the same must be for us today. A life of prayer is a spiritual exercise to work your spiritual muscles. That is in all occasions. Prayer is always the first resort and not the last. Ephesians 6.18, Paul reminds the church the same. He says, and pray in spirit in all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So this means we pray and worship God to come to know his voice, to come to know his presence, not just for our emergencies, not just for our needs. We go to him because we we desire to know him at all times. So we develop these spiritual practices so that when the storm comes, we have already have this innate in our life. This is already established in our lives, I should say. It's already there. It's already present. We're praying. This is a life of prayer. It's already given us, built this confidence in God, the one who is able, the one who's able to respond, the one who's able to, to be our strength in our weakness. So that brings us to our, um, to our third point. Faith is our obedience in action. So... I'm going to look at this final highlight with you uh, of this story. So you have an entire nation devout. They come uh, to their knees before God, and they're recognizing they're not strong enough um, to fight against a large army, right? So obviously in humility, they go to God, they seek for his guidance to know his will, know his plan, and not the ones that they're trying to think about. And they do this in prayer and fast. Now, in verse, verse 15 to 17, uh, Jehaziel, um, hopefully I'm saying his name properly, a Levite descendant of Asaph, gives a prophecy. He reminds everyone that the battle belongs to God. But they're being commanded. Now, here's the thing. They're being commanded to actually march forward towards the battlefield. And he ends in this passage, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will, give you, will be with you. Okay, so in a few words, God is sending them to go out in faith, be spectators, to see how God is going to deliver them from their enemy. That's crazy. 
I like, just imagine, like, we take Alex, the worship band, put him in the front of the battle. It's like, all right, guys, go ahead, be in front. All right? We'll follow you. Just have no swords. <laughs> but here's a key phrase in this, what was being prophesied in verse 17. You will not have to fight this battle. So they come in humility before God. They completely put everything on pause to seek the guidance of the Lord. Go out and face them. Now that does not seem promising. When you hear that, it's like, you want me to go out there to face these three armies that we clearly know we cannot defeat, but you still want me to go out there? But yeah, this is what we have to remember is that they had to put their faith in God to trust that God will fulfill his promise. See, the, the, the prophet said that they won't have to fight, but there's still the fact that you have to show up. You have to show up in front of your enemies, in, in fact. And this is what faith is about. Things will not always make sense in times that we're trying to find clarity. And Jehoshaphat and all of Judah didn't panic. But you know what? They took that to heart, that prophecy, that promise, and they worshiped God, even through the fact that you could be shaking and knowing, man, I could be dying tomorrow. I mean, like, these are three armies. Like, we are going to die. How can I put this in a simpler way? How, how can I help us understand, you know, what that faith meant? Now, I'm going to use the most simple example, and you've probably already heard it, but I'm going to still use this example. Um, faith can be understood the following way. Take the chair that you're sitting on, right? Every Sunday, you come and sit on this chair. When you sit on it, you're actually having, taking a step of faith and knowing that when you're sitting on that chair, you're going to be sitting on that chair. It's not going to break. It's not, nothing's going to happen. You won't even think about it. You just sit on it. And that's anywhere you go, actually. In fact, you go to the library, you go to public places, you go to restaurants. Your first thought isn't, oh, this chair, um, will it hold me? <laughs> like, if I sit on it, will it, like, just slide away? Um, will it disappear? I mean, like, should I trust this chair? We don't even think about it. Here's the thing. Rarely, unless the, the, the chair is shady. Like, at least you see, like, this chair is shaky, and you see that it's about to break down. I mean, obviously, don't sit on the chair, right? <laughs> but um, I know this is a minor example. You know, and everything, but it meant everything for, for the king and all of Judah to have faith in God's word. Their faith didn't just stop in believing. They went out as commanded and believing that the Lord was going to fulfill his word. So in verse 21, the king appointed men ahead of the army to sing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. 
that, that, that's, that's a lot of faith. Not just only show up, but start singing. You're not going in battle. You're just going to start singing. I mean, you're not going to defeat your en- enemy with singing. You're going to do it like a, a sing-off battle, you know? They're, they're coming with swords, and you're just singing. But you see, their worship was already written in their hearts. It was not brought on by the situation to suddenly, suddenly believe in the impossible. They practiced their faith in obedience and worship God in celebration, an expectation that God has already defeated their enemies. So you see, humility, prayer, worship are an important part of the Christian formation. But it is rendered pointless if you don't believe in a God who is able. See, in James chapter 2, verse 17, it says, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So we are reminded that faith without action is dead in the same way it went for Jehoshaphat. If they only believe by mouth and not by obedience... It's likely the consequences would have been really tragic for the kingdom of Judah. See, our active faith, God can lead us through the situation that we're unable to change. Now, as I'm going to conclude, I'm going to ask the the, the worship band to to come up. I want to come back to to one of the questions I asked. What's Jehoshaphat? Fully reliant on God. Now, in this chapter that we just read, absolutely, this is an amazing example, and it's probably a unique example to see this kingdom just joined together in relationship with God, turning to God, and even to see the king himself humble himself and seeking God. But now, problem with Jehoshaphat. Now, there's probably a lot of factors there that influenced him to continue to make bad decisions. Because if we continue reading in chapter 20, he's already made another mistake. After like seeing this big battle where God delivered them, he goes ahead and does something else. He unites or he allies with the next king of the north or king of, uh, of Israel, which is Samaria. And he decides to, to do something completely that wasn't even in God's will. He didn't even turn to God. He didn't even turn to prayer. Say, hey, God, um, should I do this? He went on and d- did his own thing. Because he set aside at that point the importance of being consistent in the spiritual practices that kept him reliant on God. Now, it's easy to criticize Jehoshaphat. It's easy to, to, to just like criticize this character and be like, hey man, these are all the mistakes that he, he made. But here's the hardest thing that we will, ever have, we will ever have to do is the moment we stop and take a look at ourselves and reflect on where our reliance on God stands. Because the moment we start looking inside, let's be honest, that can be messy, Right? And we don't want to look at that because we're like, oh, am I really relying fully on God or am I just doing things on my own, out of my own strength? Introspection is the toughest thing we ever have to do. And I want to remind all of us 
Uh, following Christ, it's not a Sunday thing. It's not a when I'm in trouble thing. We don't come to Christ because he can get us out of a situation. We come to Christ every day because he's our Lord. He's, a, he's our God. He's, our, he's a good king. He looks after our well-being every day of our lives. He is present every day of our lives. So we're invited into a relationship that requires a two-way communication. Now, just as Jehoshaphat had to realize that at some point in his life, at a season of his life where he's like, well, um, God, you saved me the last time I almost got killed. I'm going to turn to you because I know you can do it again. We should submit our lives to God. We should seek him to guide us every day, even when trouble comes. He had already been equipping us. The moment we consistently turn to him, surrender daily to him, he's already equipping us. So when those unexpected seasons come up or pop up, he's there. Now, as a church, um, we're called to unite and be set apart just like the nation of Judah. Being different from the other nations, right? What does that mean for us today? That we are set apart as a church and we're different from the rest of the world. We are called to go to Christ in humility, to be in prayer for our communities, for our city, for our country. We are called to have faith that God continues to making the impossible possible, that he glorifies himself in our hardships and in our times of peace. So it's not, it's not for our benefit. Our daily relationship with God is not for our benefit, but rather it is for an unbelieving world to witness that God is still more relevant more than ever. See, you may have a situation that is extreme, that's difficult, that popped up, and you just don't know how to handle it. And you just don't know how to get out of it. But you see, today's story is not an invitation to God because he's going to take your situation. In fact, it's an invitation that you can come to experience Jesus that he can glorify himself through all circumstances, not just the bad ones. That you can come to experience him fully and know him because you're just wanting to know him for who he is, not for what he, what he can do. He can take your situation. He can take it for his own purpose, and he will glorify himself through it. Not necessarily the way we want it, but he will always glorify himself through it. He wants you to know him. Just like the Apostle Paul in the, letters, uh, in the letter to the Philippians, he wanted to passionately know Christ. And so Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And yet, he still wanted to know more of him. So how do we do that? Now, I mentioned a couple of points here. We talk about humility. Walking by faith, 
seeking him in prayer and worship. But I, there's one point I didn't add in here, and I'm going to say it right now. It's simple. You want to hear from God, just open your Bible. And I, want to, I don't want to sound like condemning and saying this, but absolutely, you want to know God, that's how you're going to know him. The moment you surrender yourself to his word, you, remember, you surrender yourself in prayer, you surrender yourself in humility. See, God, here I am in my weakness. I surrender to you. So when do we do all these things? All the time. So this brings us to our fill in the blank. I mentioned earlier that God is glorified when dot, dot, dot. God is glorified when I daily surrender to him. Good or bad, he remains faithful. He will continue to glorify himself in all circumstances. So you see, Christ is, come, is calling you to come to know him, to surrender all areas of your life. He wants to lead your life. He wants to become reliant. He wants us to become reliant on him. So become reliant on Jesus. And we're going to, you know, I'm going to finish here just um, as we go through uh, this uh, song. Just take a moment, close your eyes, and, and just look inside and see, well, God, what area of my life do I need to surrender? What is it that I'm, I'm still in, trying to be in control of right now? And I want to give it to you. I want to surrender it to you because I've been trying so hard to, to deal with it on my own. But you know what? Here I am. Here I am. I give you every area of my life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are faithful. And even in this extraordinary passage to see that they just had to be present. They just had to believe, God, that you are, you glorify yourself in all moments. And I just pray, Lord, that it's your word, it's not mine. That whatever circumstances anyone going through here, Lord, that they can experience you, Jesus, more than ever. To experience your grace, to experience your love, to experience your healing power. Father, that anyone here this morning that they've just lived in frustration because nothing's changing, that they can just surrender fully to you, Jesus, and let you. So, Father, thank you for your word. I pray in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question. Ask for help. 
or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.